Good morning. It's good to be with you again as we talk about this morning the call that God gives us as He rescues us. You know, I'm learning as I grow older that there are some benefits to growing older. Not many, but a few. One of them is that I, I tend to find myself a lot less afraid than I used to be. There's just less to be afraid of, I guess. I don't care really what people think anymore. Uh, not too concerned about where God will take me in the rest of my life. But the thing that struck me most is I'm learning I'm not nearly as afraid of the truth that I used to be. I think we all are afraid of truth on some level. We have our thoughts, our opinions, the way we want things to be, and we jealously guard that and refuse to let anything crack into our hearts or minds to shake us or to maybe cause us to think something differently. And when it comes to the book of Galatians, I have preached and I have taught the book of Galatians many, many times. But what I'm finding is the older I get, the more it affects me. And the more it shapes and changes me because... I find myself more and more willing to look for what is true and not for just what I want. This morning we're going to look at not so much the details of Jesus' call to Paul, but we're going to look at the, the, the way in which it happened and the consequences of his call. We're in Galatians chapter 1. I'm going to start reading in verse 11. Follow with me in your Bibles or on the screen as we read this morning. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son in me, so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. But I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him for 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother, I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. Later, I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. I think it is safe for me to say this morning that um, 
Western culture has, as a whole, has finally reached the point where we can truly call it the age of me. We now live in the age of self-absorption. Everything in life has become about me. We've reached a point where we believe we should be denied nothing. We demand constant attention and we have the tools around us and the technology that makes that possible. You can turn Facebook off now, okay? We call or text constantly because we have to be at the center of someone's attention. I'm amazed. I will drive down the road to 5.30 in the morning and pull up to a stoplight and someone's talking on their phone. Who are you talking to? Nobody should be awake. What do you need to talk about? It's almost as if we're afraid of being alone with our thoughts. You know, when we... There we go. There we go. You know, it used to be that when we took a vacation, we took pictures of what we saw. We would come back with pictures of mountains or oceans or the beauty that God's created. Now we come back from vacation and we bring back a whole camera load of pictures of me. And we now have selfie sticks. So in case the backdrop is big enough, you want people to see where you are, you can hold a stick up. So the mountain behind you, so you can say to people, I was here. You know, whether we want to admit it or not, folks, it's, it's about me. And it would almost be laughable if it wasn't so painful to realize that this age of self-absorption has worked its way into the church too. To the point that the vast majority, and I'm going to go out on the limb, I might make you angry. As I told you earlier, I'm old, I don't care anymore. <laughs> but I'm afraid that the vast majority of people walking through church doors this morning really aren't there at all because of God. They're there because of themselves. I mean, think about it. In today's theology, I decided to follow Jesus, so I will follow Jesus on my terms, and I will go to the church that makes me happy. I will go to the church that sings the songs I like and sings them the way I like for them to be sung. I will go to the church that makes my kids happy and will provide the most programs and I can get the most bang for the time that I spend there. And we go down this long litany of things. And, and the sad thing is it's about me. And yet, <laughs> you know, in um, Acts, uh, well, I'll go there later. I, I've got so many things I would like to say this morning, and I'm, I don't have time to say them all. But when Jesus comes, when we die or when Jesus comes again, there's only going to be one question that he asks. The question he's going to ask is, are you mine? Have you received the gospel call? Here in Galatians, in the passage I read, we, we get a glimpse of, of the details and the, and the consequences and the process of that gospel call. Let me move into it quickly because time is short this morning. 
What we learn from Paul is that the gospel call is received through revelation. Let me, let me say it another way. If we're in relationship with God, it's because He called us. He revealed Himself to us. And what's so amazing about Paul's call, if you go back to Acts chapter 9, is that when Jesus called Paul, do you ever realize how few words He used to call him? Jesus appears to Paul on the road to Damascus and He says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul's answer is, who are you? And he says, Jesus, whom you are persecuting. That's all that's said. That's all that needed to be said because the whole gospel for Saul was summed up in those words. I mean, think about Saul. By his own definition, he was extremely zealous for the traditions of his people. He called himself elsewhere a Pharisee of Pharisees. Paul says, when it came to knowing and keeping the law, I was the best. There was nobody who did it more zealously or more carefully than I did. He says, I was advancing faster than anyone my age in Judaism. Paul called attention to himself. He was number one to the extent that when it came time to deal with this uprising cult called the way or Christianity, it was Saul they tapped on the shoulder and said, you need to deal with this. And he did. And then, in that instant, when he stood before the resurrected Jesus, he knew that everything he was and everything he had ever done was worthless. He understood instantly that Jesus was indeed God. He was who He said He was. He knew instantly that when Stephen, in his dying breath, as Saul stood there and watched him die, did indeed see Jesus at the right hand of God the Father. And he understood that Stephen and every other person he had put to death or had persecuted was indeed a part of the people of God, and he was not. The man who had pursued God zealously his entire life now stood before Jesus with a realization he had no idea who God even was. And yet the good news of the gospel and the good news of the call is that even though Saul did not know God, God knew him. Paul says, I was set apart at birth. Before I was ever born, before I'd ever taken a breath, God knew me. God had set me apart for His purposes. And it is at this point in time that God has called Saul to himself. And there are two things that Saul immediately understood about this relationship with Jesus. Number one, it doesn't matter what we do. You cannot do enough to work yourself into relationship with God. He doesn't care how many times we've been to church. He doesn't care how much we've given to the church. He doesn't care all the times we volunteer, all the times we read our Bible. They're utterly worthless if we don't know Him. And secondly, Paul began to understand instantly that there was absolutely nothing he could do in terms of sin that could keep him from God when God called him. 
There was no sin so great that God could not love and show mercy and forgive. One of the things I've learned through many, many years of pastoral ministry is that I know there are people sitting in this assembly this morning who are here because somehow you think you need to do something good for God. I have sat through funeral after funeral in my lifetime where the pastor has stood up and they've given the service and speaker after speaker has said, Joe did so many good things in his life that I'm sure he's standing in the presence of God. And I grieve every time because the Bible makes it so clear that anything we do that the world might see as good, which we think is going to bring us into relationship with God, the prophet Isaiah says, you know what that is? He says, that's like trying to wipe your face with a dirty rag. It's an insult to God. There are also people sitting here this morning who wonder, who wonders, why am I even here? What good is it going to do? I know my heart and I know my life and I know God cannot love me. And the experience of Paul on the road to Damascus says, yes. Yes, he can. And he will. Because you see, God's gospel call does not depend on what we have done, either good or bad. It simply depends upon His love for us. A dear friend of mine says it this way. He says, there is nothing we can do that can make God love us anymore, and there is nothing we can do that can make God love us any less. He loves us, and He calls us to Himself apart from any effort of our own. And what does that look like? What happens when that happens? And that brings us to our second point. The gospel call reveals a new message. Essentially, the gospel call is a call to serve Jesus. Look with me in verse 16. If I can find it. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son in me so that I might preach Him among the Gentiles... Paul said, God called me for a purpose. You know what tends to happen when we think about our salvation in our churches being primarily about us? What happens is that when we say, I have decided to follow Jesus, it also says to us, I, I, I think I will reserve the right to determine what that's going to look like. And so I'll sit down with God, and in exchange for this gracious offer of mine to decide to follow Him, this is what I expect from God. And there are always two things that we expect from God. This might hit a little bit close to home. When we negotiate with God about what our salvation looks like, the first thing we demand is comfort. If I'm going to follow Jesus, that means you have an obligation to make me healthy, wealthy, wise, and happy. Don't we? And if you think that's not true, just let me ask you a question. What's the first thing that crosses your mind when one of those things disappears? When you find out you may have a terminal illness, when you lose your job. Isn't the first thing we do is look at God and say, what's wrong with you? Why don't you love me? If you love me, why is this happening to me? 
And the second thing we negotiate in addition to comfort is the right to follow our passions. I will follow Jesus as long as following Jesus fits what I'm passionate about. And that's a great one because, boy, we can use that a lot. Time after time, I come to people and I say, would you be willing to help with this? And they say, Pastor, I'd love to, but you know, gosh, that's just not my passion. My heart's just not there. Okay, well, what is your passion? Well, I'm still searching for that. But I'm pretty sure this isn't it. Okay. Think about God's call to Paul. The first thing God does is totally erase any thought Paul might have was that this call would lead to comfort. A few months ago, I had the opportunity to preach on, on the passage of Paul's conversion, and we looked at Ananias. Do you remember the message that Ananias had to give to Paul? It was, tell him how much he will suffer for me. Now, that's a wake-up call. I have now called him and let him know that he's going to suffer because of it. And as far as passion goes, what did he call him to suffer doing? To preach the gospel to Gentiles. Paul hated Gentiles. He was a staunch, traditional Jew. The Gentiles were unclean. They were unworthy. They were pagans. Paul spent his entire life staying away from Gentiles. And now Jesus says, I'm going to make you suffer and I'm going to send you to take the gospel to the people you like least. You see, the reality of our calling from God is that when Jesus calls us, He does not consult us. When Jesus calls us, it is not a negotiated settlement. Jesus says, you are mine. And why would we possibly respond to such a calling? First of all, we don't have any choice. But second, Paul understood these things very clearly. Number one, knowing now that Jesus was who he said he was, he knew that Jesus himself and his relationship with him would be his comfort. He didn't need anything else. You know, David, another fellow who was called, can you imagine that? A little boy out in the fields taking care of his dad's sheep, he gets a call to go home, assuming he's probably in trouble. Walks up to a crowd of people, a prophet dumps oil on his head, and his head, he says, you're the king. Nobody asked him. Nobody consulted him. God called him. When God called David, David's response was, the Lord is my shepherd. I won't lack anything. You will make me lie down in green pastures. You will lead me beside quiet waters. You will restore my soul. Jesus, Paul understood that reality. Paul also understood that Jesus was now his passion. The things of this world faded away. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul talking about his call to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, he says, I do it because Christ's love compels me. 
when he stood on the road to Damascus and he understood how sinful he was and that yet God loved him and called him and made him his own in spite of his sin and his false good works. Paul loved Jesus with a passion that would lead him anywhere to do anything for him. Understanding that the gospel call is not a call simply to know about Jesus. The gospel call is a call to be known by Him, to be loved by Him, and to be changed by Him. Paul spent the rest of his adult life on the road for Jesus. He was despised and persecuted inside and outside the church. He was constantly in danger. He was beaten. He was stoned. He was flogged. He was shipwrecked. He was often without water and food and occasionally without clothing. And yet he pressed on. Why would he do that? I think the answer is found in verse 24. Paul says, And they praised God because of me. For Paul to have Jesus use him in such a way that by his life others would praise God was the greatest thing he could possibly imagine. It was worth more than anything this world had to offer. To know that one day he would stand in the presence of God and look out over a multitude of people with the tears in his eyes, turn and praise Jesus for what he had done through a sinner like him. You see, that is the consequence of the call that God gives. When I was in high school, I was a, a young man who, who I think was in relationship with Jesus, but drifting badly. And, and a new pastor came to the church I was attending, a small Presbyterian church. A small Presbyterian church that had had three pastors in its 110-year history. Reverend Wiley came and served for 40 years, rather Reverend Smiley came and served for 30, and then Reverend Stewart came and served for 40 more. And when he retired, they called a young man to be the pastor, and they called him to be a sacrificial lamb. He would never, ever meet the expectations of this church. He was there for five and a half years, and it was a miserable five and a half years as the elderly congregation wanted nothing to do with his new ideas and his gospel talk. But what he found was that there were some junior and senior high kids in the church, and he began to focus on them, and he didn't know why, because he couldn't stand us. And I can understand why. But he started a Bible study, and he started inviting us. He began to spend time with us, after about a year, he bought an old bus and took us through the south on a trip just to share, the, share Jesus with people. It wasn't too long after he got back from that trip, things got tough, and he ended up leaving the church. Struggled in ministry, struggled with alcoholism. His kids got into drugs. His wife was killed in a car crash. 
he ended up a rather lonely, destitute man. I had a chance to talk to him about seven or eight years ago before he died. And he said, I I just don't know that my life has counted for anything. I said, really? I said, you know that bunch of mouthy, stubborn, hard-headed kids that you loved anyway? I said, let me tell you about them. You've lost track, haven't you? I said, of that about 15 kids, three are pastors. Two more elders in the church. Three are deacons. Four of the women are married either to pastors or elders in serving Jesus faithfully in the church. I said, dear Father, in my faith, your calling is not about you. Your calling was about us and what Jesus would do in us through you. And that's true of every one of us. The calling that God gives when he meets us on our road to Damascus and reveals himself to us when he says, you are mine. It is not a call for our comfort or our passions. It is a call to see him for who he is and allow him to be the comfort and passion of our souls that we surrender our lives to be used by him for his glory. And it doesn't matter what stage of life we are in, whether we're in someone's lap or the hundred-year-old person that Jerry visited with yesterday. It's no different and it never changes. This morning, do you know about Jesus Or has he called you? Are you here for yourself? Or are you here to find him? The one prayer that is always answered is, Jesus, I desperately need you. Call me. Make me yours. And then allow the truth, don't be afraid of it, allow the truth of the word to enter your heart and life and calling that he can make you into what he desires you to be, that you too might be used for his glory. Pray with me quickly. Father, do this work in us, not because of us. Erase our selfishness and help us live for you. And we ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen.